it's all underpinned by that that stronger landlord-tenant relationship and, and doing things differently and more collaboratively. Welcome to Thrivalism, Interaction's podcast focused on the art of thriving, flourishing and evolving under any conditions. In this series, we'll examine how to create thriving businesses, culture, careers, and places. We'll explore key topics such as workplace design and build, culture and community, sustainability, and of course, the future of work. Join us and our guests as we explore how people and businesses can set themselves up to thrive, not just survive. I'm joined by Paul Richardson, who's the asset manager of CEG, a national developer currently building one of the most sustainable office buildings in the UK. Paul is passionate about buildings that create a positive impact on people, communities and the environment they sit. And it's really great to have you on Thrivalism, Paul. That's great. Thanks for inviting us, Dieter. Good to join you. So, I mean, on the face of it, looking at your CV, you've got a degree in estate management. You've been a surveyor in various kind of UK practices before joining CEG as an asset manager. I mean, that's a typical career path for someone to be successful in property. I suppose there must have been some challenges and some people on the way who've made that journey interesting. Could you pick a few of those for us? I I think that the the one thing to say with regards to any career in property is never two days are the same throughout. Um, So I I started life as as a grad working in property management and then working through landlord and tenant agency work before joining CEG back in 2007. And obviously the journey through with CEG has been interesting over over those years. Business has changed significantly and I think we'll probably end up touching on a lot of these points as we go through the podcast. But I think one of the most interesting things is the, the sort of dynamics between landlords and tenants you know the the old sort of adversarial relationship of a number of years ago has given way to a much more sort of collaborative of way of working which is you know being open and honest makes our job a, a lot more interesting yeah absolutely it is it is interesting that you pick that as the thing that has changed the most in your career i didn't know if you're gonna uh, grasp at the effects of you know the recession yeah just as you joined ceg or some of the major projects that you've been involved in obviously that that for you is a real key thing that is, that has changed that relationship yeah it's, it's something that i'm very passionate about and you know even joining as a grad couldn't really get my head around this this sort of approach that seemed to be ingrained in the in the industry whereby whatever a tenant would ask a landlord the, the sort of initial reaction was to say no you know from early in my career always adopted an approach of, of understanding and, and reasoning in in terms of any dealings with occupiers and I'm, I'm pleased to see that that's sort of made its way into the the mainstream or is certainly making its way into the, the mainstream and I think that has given way to a lot of the trends that we're, we're seeing and no doubt we'll, we'll chat around in terms of sustainability and requirements for flexible space, etc. It's, it's all underpinned by that that stronger landlord-tenant relationship and, and doing things differently and more collaboratively. I mean, so I suppose it's not only the relationships with the, the occupiers who are in the building, but also the kind of the cities that you guys build in and the communities that you build in. And, and I suppose there is an expectation these days that the buildings you create add benefit to the community around them. I mean, what's the hardest challenge of making that balance with investors? It's, it's a challenge that is becoming easier in the sense that occupiers are looking for buildings that are ingrained in, in a community and have a, a long-term vision and, and long-term purpose. 
I think there are, there are a lot of occupiers out there that have been stung by end of term costs, unexpected dilapidations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, going all pointing back to this sort of more adversarial world between landlord and tenant, and I think now, and and certainly from CG's perspective, where we can take a, a long term investor approach to a lot of our schemes, we can look at things differently. So we can look at providing. Flex space to supplement occupiers in in taking their traditional space, you know, giving occupiers an opportunity to grow their businesses and flex their businesses with, within office space, and it's looking at it from the the occupier perspective as opposed to just just purely from the the investor perspective. Do you think it's the change of the personalities with the property industry that has just naturally evolved that, or is it absolutely market driven? I think, in all honesty, it's, it's a bit of both, really. I think businesses themselves have changed. We've, we've seen examples of, you know, particularly legal companies where they've they've changed their structures. They have a more sort of flatline structure um, atop of these businesses because they recognise that that people, and again, this is pre-COVID, people didn't necessarily have the, the aspirations to move through the business, to get to partner, to continue to relentlessly chase down work and win work. They recognised that, that people were trying to, you know, move on with their careers but also value their work life and their their home life and their family life etc so we've seen businesses react to to what people are looking for and then we've also seen that reaction from businesses in terms of how that then impacts their their real estate strategy as well and again it makes our role so much more interesting now that businesses are are typically looking at, at workspace more as a strategic tool within their or as part of their their business plan as opposed to this sort of necessary overhead that they need to, in order to operate and and that's that's really refreshing and it just gives us a, an opportunity to to work with with businesses to really try and add value as all other industries do to their customers obviously we're talking about the demands of the occupiers and you know so many of the conversations that we hear are all about sustainability and that's a a proper focus for everybody who's in our industry now. You know, they are clearly very vital conversations, but there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of conflicting messages. There's lots of complicated standards that the people don't understand and different interpretations of what should and shouldn't be done and what can be achieved. What would you say, as someone who's standing outside our industry, what are the things that they should really focus on? I think one of the issues are that there are so many accreditations within the the industry, ranging from BRIAM, EPC, a design for performance approach, Neighbours, which is a, a, a new Better Buildings partnership backed um, scheme that is that was launched earlier this year. And there's, there's also a lot of conversation around carbon and the carbon performance of buildings, both in operation and embodied carbon, which is um, carbon in construction. We are seeing that industry backed bodies are now building frameworks and ways of effectively allowing you to audit your um, credentials against these these badges. So as an example, the UK GBC recently launched a, a scope and definition of their approach to carbon net zero in operation. And what that allows us to do is finally benchmark that because prior to, to that UK GBC definition being presented, the industry was 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 making statements around carbon performance without effectively having a benchmark to sit against. That we feel is a, is a game changer, and I think it's you know as a business for for CG, it, it's really important that we are able to make statements against industry recognised approaches. 
is there a danger, I suppose, that it that it adds to the many accreditations that you are expected to perform against? And, and you know, I suppose there is a the occupiers are saying, make this simpler for us. We want to engage. We want to make sure we're in the very best buildings. It's really important for us as a business and for our customers and for our staff. And they want to, I suppose, have less accreditations that they could they can they can deal with. I, th- I think the, the answer is education on, on all sides, both on the developer's side in terms of the, the products, what they're delivering and how they're accrediting against that product. The agents in terms of being the main conduits between developers and, and occupiers, but also from, from an occupier perspective in terms of what really adds value to, to them and to, to their business. Um, we, we have examples of, of businesses you know, being very clear that they they require an EPC A-rated building. Um, The perception being that that building therefore operates um, using less energy. But we we know that a deeper dive that there are examples um, nationally of of buildings that have lower EPC state ratings that actually use less energy than EPCA, for example, rated buildings. So it's it's that sort of education. But I think what it nicely does is kind of loop us back around to what I was saying at the beginning in terms of opening the dialogue between landlords and tenants and having a more collaborative approach to understanding each other's propositions, both the landlord to understand what tenants are looking for, but also for the tenants to engage with with landlords to, to understand the messages that we're, we're, we're trying to promote. Absolutely. Obviously, sustainability is only part of the picture and getting the energy to that building is really, really critical. There's a lot of complex issues and, and myths, I suppose, around green energy for these buildings. How do you break that down and make it simple for occupiers to, to understand that's, that element? Again, that's that's been driven by changes within the the industry and changes within regulations and what is defined as as green energy. And, and the UK GBC are doing a lot of work around that in in terms of helping with that definition um, that allows third parties to really audit how landlords are procuring their green energy and therefore how that green energy is then being badged. Um, and I think a really really key point on that is the process of additionality in terms of what is delivered within that green energy. Yeah. In terms of, you know, obviously green energy, the accreditations with those buildings, a lot of complex issues going on. You obviously always want to do the right thing, but there are tough investment decisions to make in order to to achieve the standards that you guys aspire to. How tough are those investment decisions and how difficult are the conversations to keep track internally? I think in terms of the principle and our aspiration to deliver sustainable buildings that that's very much at the heart of of cg and the, the heart of our, our our business one of the one of the biggest challenges is the the change in technology the speed of change in technology and it's it's a really exciting time we specified some light fittings only only very recently which we're, we're now going back into the design to look at because we've identified a much more energy efficient system that's the physical product on top of that you have other changes in in technology the rise of smart technology the approach to delivering smart enabled buildings is in a way is very similar to sustainability in terms of there is a lot of noise around smart buildings and, and smart tech and there are a lot of gimmicks that, that flow from that that noise what we want to do and as we've done with sustainability is, is make sure that we interrogate our approach to smart 
as, as, as we do with sustainability to make sure we're delivering design that drives real value and real performance for occupiers. I think there is a there's a risk that some of the, the smart tech that we're seeing in the market can be classed as a bit gimmicky to, to unlock marketing conversations. That's not something that really sits well within our, our business. So on the smart, for example, we're keen to ensure that when we look at smart technology, we want to ensure that it's fulfilling either a better interaction between people and the building. It helps drive performance in terms of sustainability, so that ability to better control your, your local environments. Or alternatively, we're designing the building so it is future-proofed to accommodate future smart technology going forward. And I think those are really key values that occupiers can really realise from smart tech, as opposed to a wayfinding system, for example, that you can download on your phone to find your way around the building. I mean, ultimately, if you if you have to find a use a phone to find your way around the building, some, something's gone wrong with the, the building design. That's uh, very much our approach to that. I mean, that, obviously, the, the investment conversations that you guys are having on one side of it and, and the occupier conversations where, you know, the type of occupiers you guys are attracting have a very clear environmental and sustainability agenda. How different has the seriousness of those conversations become in the last two or three years in terms of, you know, obviously these things attract cost and the, the tenants ultimately have to pay that. Um, do you feel there's been a significant shift in the last two or three years with occupiers? I, I think there has. I think pre, pre-COVID, we were starting to see a trend of occupiers making moves to quality in terms of the quality of buildings that they were occupying. We fully expect that to be a trend that will accelerate post-COVID. We are seeing examples of that in different markets. And I think a lot of it loops back to earlier points that we made in the conversation around occupiers and their, their approach to putting people first within their business. People costs is the highest cost for most businesses. Therefore, businesses have realised that there is value in delivering services and, and offers within their business that adds value to their people and therefore it helps attract retain the best people within their, their business. So I think putting that to one side, occupiers can see the value in the real estate offer to support that strategy. So from an occupier's perspective, it's worth committing to the, the high quality building that delivers your ESG credentials. It delivers better amenity provision for your staff and helps with your staff well-being ultimately and therefore helps drive business performance so it's no longer just a conversation around rent rates and service charges it's a bigger much more interesting conversation i mean definitely i think one of the places where i'm very conscious of that happening is with the eq building in bristol Uh, and of course that evolved out of what was the aspire building and there were some really big changes that happened to that building uh, from what it was to what it is now what what you guys are planning to deliver into the market what were the kind of i suppose the key conversations and the key factors that made those changes so the original aspire development which was 200,000 square feet secure planning permission back in 2014 the original business plan was effectively to secure a prelet to fund that building to get that going and, and bring it out the ground. Um, obviously, 2014 clashed quite closely with Brexit and various other uncertainties that, that were in the market, and ultimately the prelet was was not secured. The building was transferred to a different fund back in 2018. CG retained as investment and development managers. But 
the importantly, the business plan changed and it moved away from delivering the building through a pre-let route to being able to deliver the building speculatively. And in doing that, it meant that we could look at the building in, in a slightly different way. So we gave ourselves 12 months to reopen design packages to look at improving the design of the building to respond to what occupiers are looking for in the new world. The main packages focused on um, sustainability and amenity within the building. So this idea of putting people at the very heart of the building was was absolutely central to that that redesign and the packages that we opened for, for EQ. In delivering EQ, which is a building that has been a complete redesign from Aspire, we're still delivering 200,000 square feet of office space. We have similar size floor plates at 27,000 square feet. Um, but what we're, what we're doing is we're moving the dial on in terms of sustainability credentials. It's now the first new build office building in Bristol to commit to net carbon zero in operation in accordance with the UK GBC approach. And in addition to that, we've actually handed over nearly 10% of the floor space within the building to amenity provision. So within the EQ design, we have ground floor cafe, business house breakout space, fitness space. We've got a central atrium for events and presentations. And on the top floor, we've got a really cool restaurant bar with um, south-facing roof terrace. And I think summing all that up, as the redesign progressed, what we wanted to do was rebrand the building to reflect the values that we've just captured as part of that redesign. And in looking at that, we kept coming up with themes around balance, this idea of, of work-life balance within the building, which led us to terms like equilibrium. So we debated about on calling the building equilibrium, but I can't spell it, let alone pronounce it clearly. So we, we quickly sort of dialed that back, and that's how we arrived at, at EQ as the name for the building in Bristol. And essentially, in a nutshell, EQ really stands for this idea of, of the perfect balance. It's the idea or it's the desire to live and work sustainably. And that's what we're trying to capture within EQ. It's, it's interesting that, that all of those factors you talk about are, are kind of, in, in some ways, reflect, I think, the ethos of Bristol as a place. And you guys develop in different cities around the UK. How do you feel that is something that really captures Bristol as a place and, and the type of occupiers that, that are in Bristol and want to take that kind of space? We think it's really well tuned into to Bristol. Bristol is a very young progressive, environmentally focused city. I think that's, that's been demonstrated over the last 12 months. Greta Thunberg came to, to the UK and, and she spoke in Bristol. Bristol has that dynamic and, and we think you know, Bristol is, is ready for EQ as, as an offer. Obviously, this thing is, is forever evolving. It's forever moving forward. It was interesting. I was looking at the parallel maybe between Aspire that could have been built and EQ that is being built. And obviously, uh, up in Leeds, you've got your Kirkston Forge development where you've got number one, which is built, and number two, uh, which is evolving as a, as a building. What's the next phase? Do you think if your EQ was being built in five years' time, what are the things that are most likely to see. Well, I think one thing to mention before we go into that is is this sort of long-term investor approach because what is interesting is if you design a building to perform it in operation and you apply a long-term investor approach to that, then you can continue to invest in that building, you continue to drive performance. You touched on Kirkstall Forge. That was a building that PC'd in 2017. Very successful building, fully let within 12 months, 
it won the the BCAO award for best national best commercial workspace. But we didn't rest on our laurels with that building. We implemented a post-occupancy evaluation process. So we periodically undertake reviews of the building and its performance, which allows us to to look at that, see whether it's performing against design and where it isn't, make investment to to improve. So one example at, at Kirstal Forge is that we identified the energy usage within the building was exceeding where we were initially expecting it to be. A lot of that was driven by the amount of fresh air intake that we were delivering into the building, which was pushing energy usage up. As a result of that, we've retrospectively fitted carbon dioxide sensors back into the building, which allows us to maintain levels of fresh air that are required within the building, but actually to, to add better control over the, the energy usage around tempering that, that fresh air. So I think that long-term approach to managing property is is going to be very important going forward, particularly as, as as technology changes and improves. And in terms of future design, again, that's changing rapidly at the moment um, in terms of new technology, new materials, new levels of expectation. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time for the, the market going forward. Yeah, I think it's not just design that's going to change. Like it's exactly what you talking about at the start. There's relationships between landlords, developers, and the occupiers that much more aligned relationships, and a much more expectation that the 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 benefit will continue throughout the life cycle, I suppose, of their occupation. I suppose what CEG doing to make sure that they are at the forefront of that, and and to make sure that that relationship is as close as it possibly can be. CG have a long-term strategic approach to property management. We manage everything in-house. So we have our own FM team. We have our own, what we refer to as being the life team, which is a dedicated team within the business that activate these amenity spaces that we're providing with within buildings. You know, we, we've seen examples where developers have created amenity space within buildings, but without that sort of activation and that program of events, that amenity space can, can sometimes just sit unused within buildings so we're really keen on controlling as much of that experience as as we can we don't use third-party agents we therefore feel as though we're in a better position to build up that that strength and depth of relationship with occupiers going forward and, and ultimately engage with occupiers so Within our existing portfolio, pre-COVID, we welcomed about 25,000 people daily to the buildings. Our building managers hold regular meetings with occupiers on site to talk about a range of subjects, whether that is supporting businesses with green credentials, supporting them with their charity initiatives, or, or even just getting feedback around travel plan arrangements or amenity provision within the buildings. I think it all points back to landlords that can engage with tenants at the right level, in the right level of detail, but to progress a more collaborative approach to delivering benefits within uh, within real estate. That's good. I'm super excited to see you go out the ground. It's obviously there. The guys are on site, aren't they? Pulling it together. It's going to be it's going to be a fantastic space for Bristol. Something that's certainly going to change the way the anybody who's arrived into Bristol off the train station knows that. You've got to get through some stuff before you start to really see the benefits of, of the city, and it's going to make a massive change. So it's, it, it, it's really exciting, and I th- and I think the connection between EQ and the kind of streetscape there, I'm really excited about. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we're really excited to be on site and delivering EQ and, and really excited by everything else that's happening in Bristol, the announcement of the works that uh, will be changing Bristol Temple Mead Station, etc. There's, there's, there's a lot going on and we're excited to be a part of it. Good. It's been really interesting to hear, just to try and to pull behind what's going on in terms of these new developments and some of the challenges I think which developers have and some of the solutions that you guys are putting forward with occupiers. Really interesting. Uh, and yeah, good luck with EQ. We really look forward to seeing it come out of the ground. Very good. Thanks. Thanks so much for inviting us. 